This summer is going to be so good. I cannot wait to gather on Sundays in person. And then so many activities, so much fun to be had this summer. And how good was last week with Lucia, one of our preachers and teachers. She was absolutely exceptional in our journey through the book of Romans chapter 8. And she taught us last week that about suffering, uh, that it's collective and that glory is collective and communal as well. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can get them out. You can hit the notes tab here on Church Online. And we're going to get started in Romans 8 verse 18 this morning. And this is what Paul writes. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, the people of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be set free, creation being set free, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation wants to receive the glory and the freedom that we have experienced in Christ. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our teaching this morning is going to be broken into three sections, the first of which is we're going to talk about suffering, and I believe that you're going to get some insight and some wisdom and suffering that makes sense to us. Secondly, we're going to talk about creation. We're going to learn today that creation is actually our personal amen corners, and you're going to be encouraged. And then finally, we're going to finish with glory, suffering that leads to glory, glorious suffering. What does that look like? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come today hungry and listening. We want to hear from you. Speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I tried to avoid suffering at all costs. I want to shortcut uh, all suffering. And the evidence of that is this, right here, my Trader Joe's bag that I take to Whole Foods when I'm buying stuff, and I always go to the self-checkout aisle. I hate waiting in lines. Why would I want to suffer waiting in lines when I can bring my own bag to self-checkout? But here's the problem with self-checkout. Normally, I make mistakes, and I end up having to ask for help, and I forget to scan something, or I can't get it to scan, and I end up taking more time trying to shortcut my waiting and suffering than actually just waiting in line and letting one of the professionals do it. And I think all of us can relate to that, because many of us have tried to short-circuit or shortcut or avoid or escape our suffering. But I've got good news for all of us today, that none of us were ever supposed to suffer. That wasn't God's original plan. But when sin came into the world, all of us as humans now experience suffering. And there are four primary sources of suffering, the first of which is sin. We live in a fallen world, and as a result, there is evil in the hearts of men and women. As a result, we have earthquakes and tsunamis and we have volcanic eruptions. We have all kinds of those things, our response to the taint and root of sin in this fallen world. 
Our, our second source of suffering is personal foolishness, right? We've all done dumb things. Uh, it's like being in college and skipping class and then staying up all night for two nights to cram, getting sick because you haven't slept, and then going to take the exam, absolutely exhausted and failing. Yes, that's called self-inflicted suffering. We don't need to do that. Just show up to class and do the work. Francis Chan, author and pastor, says that my pride and immaturity has caused me to make things more of a struggle than they had to be. I can always blame others or circumstances, but the truth was that my own sinful pride led to more stress than anything else. I think we can all relate to that. We also know that there's suffering through God's correction, but this is a a suffering of love. This is God tenderly and with gentle hands correcting his children because he loves them and he wants to lead them back into freedom and wholeness and fullness. We, we know that Hebrews 6 talks to us about that. And then lastly, we have persecution. This is the opposition and the resistance that we have to our faith as followers of Jesus. Timothy Keller commenting on suffering says that suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into a more stable and spiritual power than we can imagine. Suffering can actually make us who we were born to be. And all humans suffer because of sin. We all suffer in our bodies. We suffer mentally. We suffer emotionally. We suffer socially from broken relationships. And and compared to heaven, where there is no suffering, nearly all of our lives, we are influenced in some way by suffering. But Keller comments, he says, Christ did not suffer so you wouldn't suffer. He suffered so when you suffer, you will become like him. And that's the beauty of godly Christian suffering. God uses suffering to actually make us more like Jesus. He can use it for our good and our benefit. When we suffer, we learn that we're not in control of our lives. It strips us of our hope in finite things so that we don't put our ultimate hope in things that are temporal. Suffering dispels the illusion that we have this strength and and competence and smarts to actually rule our own lives or save ourselves. God can use suffering to help us become more dependent upon Him and to tenderize our hearts. And I've got some things in my own life that I've suffered that God has really used to help me. Uh, I remember I used to hate being misunderstood and would try to over-explain myself. But really what that exposed in my life was this need I have for applause and approval and acceptance from men. And God had to strip me of that. So I've suffered from being misunderstood. Uh, Betrayal and abandonment had someone very close to me do something that I did not see coming that was very painful, someone I loved and trusted so much. And I learned that man will let me down, but through that, God taught me actually how to love and how to forgive. I've suffered rejection, but what I've learned through that is it's actually brought me into an even deeper and more intimate relationship with God's acceptance and his love and his delight in me. And so I want to take a moment 
today, and I want to talk about our suffering. Let's take a Selah moment right now, and let's name our suffering. How are you suffering right now? It could be mental exhaustion. It could be depression, grief, or loneliness. All of us are always suffering in some way nearly all the time. And the very first verse here we learn, Paul is talking about present sufferings. And the present sufferings he's talking about are really the persecution, the opposition, and the hostility towards the gospel. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. He says that I have been imprisoned, countless beatings, often near death. His persecution kept him in this constant state of being near to death. Five times he received uh, 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked a night and a day. Frequent danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, the Gentiles, danger in the city, the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And then he goes on and talks about not persecution, but the result of this persecution has left him hungry and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then on top of it, he feels this daily burden and anxiety for the church, that the church would be rooted and established and flourish. And so we see here that Paul is primarily talking about persecution, the opposition to the gospel. Now, we don't experience that here in America or the West or the Bay Area like he did early on, but we see in Egypt and Asian nations where they are literally killing Christians every single day that many commentators and Bible scholars believe that the persecution against the global church is strongest now than it's ever been, and more people are being martyred for their Christian faith than ever before. We know that the early church responded to this suffering in a way that makes you just wonder. Acts chapter 5 says that they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let him go. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. See, persecution should make you shout. (laughs) That's right. When you are persecuted, you know that God's hand is upon your life. But 
let's be honest, when we're persecuted, we don't normally shout. And it's because we don't truly understand what that persecution can do. It can actually glorify God, just like the early church. It can point people to a God that's way bigger than the suffering that we are enduring. And so don't run from persecution or suffering. Don't try to escape it or avoid it or ignore it, but actually embrace it. Francis Chan says, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. If you saw someone that was beaten and persecuted and they were rejoicing and considering it an honor, I believe that would get your attention. That's what Francis is talking about. That was the early church's response to persecution and suffering. We know in our global world today that the single heaviest burden that people suffer from is a lack of clean, pure drinking water. 840,000 people die globally every year due to poor water. 200 million hours a day women and children invest in actually collecting water. That keeps kids out of school and keeps moms from working. Safe water removes the single heaviest burden from the lives of the poorest people in the world. This is why we're taking our bottles and cans through EXP Water and using them to pay for wells. We've already dug two. We're going to dig more. And you're going to get some information here very soon about how we'll be gathering those bottles and cans again at our in-person gatherings. That's global suffering. How about Bay Area suffering? Homelessness is on the rise and multiplying. The, the racist violence and awful acts of hate are happening more frequently. Suffering. We know the violence of break-ins and home invasions and car theft. It, it, it's at record highs right now. And then we also know the financial pressure of inflation and rising housing costs and construction costs. and All of this pressure that all of us feel in some form or fashion. That's just Bay Area suffering. We've talked global suffering. Now let's talk about what all of us have lived through over the last year. What I would call COVID suffering. We have people in our church from Brazil and India. And what's happening in those countries right now is just so heartbreaking, so sad. The amount of death and the amount of sickness. It's just astounding. We have people in our own church, among our own family that have lost close loved ones to them. I think by now, almost all of us have, have known someone that has lost their life to COVID. This is hard and this is heavy. We have families that have been together at home with students and kids for over a year. That's hard for the parents and for the students. We have people that have had babies, which has been great. We have others that are still trying and it seems like everyone's having a baby but them. That's tough and challenging. We have those that have lost jobs or perhaps even careers. We have singles among us in our church family that are lonely and disconnected. We have students that have lost proms and graduations that they won't be getting back. I think all of us and the globe, all of humanity has suffered so much in the last 18 months through everything that has happened through the pandemic. And Paul says and. Romans 5, chapter 3, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. There is a grace available to all of us to actually rejoice, even when we're hurting, even when we don't have answers, even when it doesn't make sense. 
we can still rejoice. God can put a praise in our hearts. He can put a song in our lips. And he says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. As you've been suffering, you have been growing in endurance. Endurance produces character. There's been so much character formation that's happened during the pandemic. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. That if you embrace the suffering, you recognize it. You don't reject it or run from it, but you embrace the suffering that Jesus suffers with you. He is with you in the suffering. It can actually lead to spiritual formation of character and endurance and hope. That you can become a person of hope as you endure suffering with Jesus, like Jesus, in community with his family. And so I wanna, I wanna take a moment to reflect on what our response has been to the suffering. Has it been anger and frustration? Or have we actually really embraced it for what it is and allowed God to use it to change us, to make us more like him? Let's take a moment and I want you to answer this question. How am I responding to the suffering? God is so powerful that he can actually use our suffering not only for our good, but for the good of others. Joseph, in Genesis 50, he was sold by his brothers as a slave. And when he reunites with them, he says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And many Bible scholars believe that had Joseph not been a leader in Egypt over all of the economy, that in the midst of the famine, that all of his family would have died due to famine. But because he was sold into slavery, evil, God redeemed it to good, made him a leader over the nation of Egypt that they saved in times of plenty so that they had enough to feed literally the world at that time. Our suffering a lot of times doesn't make sense, but God can use it for our good and he can use it for the good of others. That's suffering. Now let's talk about all creation. Literally, when you read Romans 8, in this section, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like, all of creation is yearning. All of creation is crying out for me to become who I'm born to be. Creation wants the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They want us to become fully who Jesus made us to be. That's right. So I want you to think about this. I did a little research. There are 65 
5,000 species of trees, over 3 trillion trees on planet Earth. And they're yearning and crying out for you to become who you were born to be. Flowers, there are over 400,000 species of flowers wanting you to become like Jesus. 33,000 species of fish, over 3.5 trillion fish on planet Earth are swimming, wanting you to become more like Jesus, who you were born to be. That's literally what this text says, that, it, that, that all of creation is yearning for the redemption that we have already partake and tasted of as followers of Jesus. How about mammals? I wanted to leave out reptiles and I wanted to leave out insects, snakes and spiders. But how about mammals? 6,500 species of mammals, over 130 billion animals on this planet are wanting you, creation wants you to become like Jesus. And here's the big one, the stars. We've covered land, we've covered sea, even the sky is pulling for you, rooting you on, cheering you on. They are in your amen corner. One billion trillion stars in the observable universe want you to become who you were born to be. The revealing of the sons of God, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation looks at us breaking through, through relationship with Jesus, becoming who we are born to be, and they want us to become, they want to become like us. I know it sounds weird because they're not humans, but literally the scripture says all of creation, all of creation is yearning for this, is desiring this. And this causes us to have an eternal mindset that we begin to think about life not just in the here and now, but the long game, the eternal lens. And when we talk about glory in this text, I believe in our day and age, we're moving so fast and we are so focused on the here and now and the post from 26 seconds ago and how many comments do I have and how many views and how many follows that the eternal mindset of glory, it's not even on our radar. And I believe that we need to have a bigger vision of heaven and glory than we do of the American dream of success, of simply this timeline of education, career, retire. There's, there's gotta be so much more than that. What, what if we thought about heaven more than we thought about what we're gonna have for lunch? Or the pictures that we're going to take of our lunch that we're then going to post? <laughs> what, what if we thought about heaven more than we thought about today and here and now? If you grew up in church, you may have heard this before, that, that you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Can I tell you, that has never been true. Not one time. The problem is we're so earthly minded, we're of no heavenly good. We've got to get our eyes focused on heaven, our hearts focused on heaven. The early church, they lived like Jesus was coming back every day, any moment. They were prepared for Jesus' return. They were so heavenly minded. And I believe so many of us, myself included, we, we don't want to suffer. And, and we think suffering is so much worse than it really is because we don't have a taste of heaven. We, we don't have a mindset. We don't have a vision for heaven. And if we did, and if we could receive that vision of heaven, that we would be able to endure anything, that like the early church, we would be able to rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that this is just a moment, a, a vapor, a breath in the wind compared to all eternity in glory with Jesus. In heaven, the Bible says that he wipes away every tear from our eyes, that we're welcomed into heaven with this incredible grand entrance that yes, there is no pain in heaven, which I'm thankful for, but there's so much more than that. Rich, meaningful relationships of trust. There's love flowing back and forth. There's joy. Imagine the food in heaven. I believe that we're able to eat desserts and gain no weight. Thank you, Jesus. I hope it's like that in heaven. Think about the views in heaven. I'm a sunrise, sunset guy. And I take pictures and post and I have moments with God. And I look out at those beautiful sunrises and sunsets, and I think even as beautiful as this is, it's still tainted by sin. Someday, can you imagine the views in heaven? Can you imagine the laughter and the joy and the singing and the worship and the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit? No separation, no disconnect due to sin. See, our goal is glory. It's not comfort, it's not convenience, it's not luxury, it's not fame, it's not success. Our destination, our goal is glory. It's to make God known. And as we do that, he will return for us, his people, his family, his church, and we will be with him in glory forever. I wanna close with this quote from A.J. Swoboda. He says this, Jesus Christ is not always a solution to pain. He is often the cause of it. I don't think you saw that coming. Jesus Christ solves the sin issue, but not the pain issue. To follow Jesus is to follow him into pain, into the dark emotions and into the difficulty. And so I wanna encourage you today, all of us have suffered so much over the last 12 months. We've suffered just like everybody else on the planet has suffered. Let's bring meaning and purpose to this pain. Let's invite the Spirit of God to come and use that suffering to make us more like Jesus. Let us receive the grace to rejoice in our suffering, even when it makes absolutely no sense, so that suffering can eventually grow into endurance and character and hope. Let's pray this morning. I really just want to pray over you. If you would, wherever you're watching, if you just want to put your hand on your heart. Lord, I pray for every person watching this morning, for the pain, the hurt, that you would bring healing to their minds, their thoughts, that you would bring healing to their hearts, their unresolved issues and their pain, that you'd bring healing to them. And they may be discouraged and they may be even disillusioned. Lord, would you bring truth to them? Would you cause them to hope again? And for those of us that are suffering, Lord, so much loss, would you restore what the enemy has taken? You said in your word that sorrow would last for the night, but joy would come in the morning. Lord, give us grace in the sorrow. Give us grace to have joy again. Grace to suffer well. In Jesus' name.